0: Good morning, True Life. Feel free to take a seat. All right. Well, the last four weeks we've been going through this series that we call issues because we got issues, right? We go through the series we call issues, and it's how the psalms speak to these specific issues in our hearts. That's what the series has is, is been, and this is the fourth one in the series. And what we're going to be talking about this week is this thing called fear of man. And some of y'all might be like, fear of man? What even is that? Well, um, there's kind of three categories of it, and these, this kind of delineation of categories comes from Ed Welsh's book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, um, which is a great book on this subject, and I highly recommend it. But there's, there's a couple categories of fear of man. The first one is kind of like a fear of being humiliated. Like, it's kind of like a shame based fear of man that you will be exposed for something and people will see something that you don't want them to see. The second category is kind of like an actual fear of like somebody can do violence against you, they can oppress you, they can attack you, physical fear of the oppression of man. That's the second category. The third category is probably where most of us live on a week to week basis. The third category is fear of man, fear of people's approval, fear of what people. An over, like an overly prioritized concern of what people think about you. Just that, like think about peer pressure. Think about peer pressure. Think about um, uh, people pleasing. This is the third category of fear of man that a lot of us experience week to week. And maybe right now you're like, oh, I don't, I don't care about what people think. Well, let's, let's just read through some symptoms, okay? Let's just read through some symptoms of fear of man as far as real, a real worry about approval of people. Just see if, you, if, you, if any of this rings true to you. Maybe it's, it's hard for you to say no. Maybe it's hard for you to say no to things you overcommit all the time because you're worried that if you say no, somebody's going to not like you. Hard to say no. Maybe it's uh, indecisions. Like you, Maybe you know what the right thing to do is, but you, you're, you're really concerned about how it's going to make you look. You're really concerned <clears throat> when you make decisions about how you're going to come off. <clears throat> maybe it's uh, getting into trouble or criticism, like receiving criticism from people, people with a really strong fear of man, really seeking after man's approval. Criticism is really hard to take. And when you get in trouble for something, you just like, even from since a, maybe a young age, getting in trouble was like the most horrifying thing that could have happened to you. Maybe um, easily embarrassed. Maybe, maybe it's this one. Maybe you go along with gossip. Maybe at times... Um, sorry, I think that's my little mic. <laughs> maybe you go along with gossip because it's easy. Because if you say something, people are going to look at you with a raised eyebrow. Maybe your coworkers or your friends, when, when they go out and they do something, maybe they just overdrink and just go along with it. Because, you know, who wants to stir the pot, right? Who wants to stir the pot? Maybe it's an obsession with comparison, Maybe at work, like there's some kind of like performance metric goals that you gotta make, and you're really concerned about how you're gonna come off. Like, it's good to be concerned about you know hard work and all that, but you're just like constantly comparing yourself in the charts to other people at work. Huge concern about that. These are some of the symptoms of a fear of man. You know that last one's actually really dangerous because maybe you're comparing yourself to others, and maybe in this time in your life you're actually coming out on top. Maybe you're actually crushing it that, it can even be the most dangerous because then you don't see it. Then you don't even see that you're really chained, you're cuffed to people's opinions. And wherever they go one day, even if it's at the mountain high right now, one day it's not going to be and you'll go with them. Fear of man. These are some of the symptoms. Um, and you know, this is a natural thing for us. We don't have to learn this. <laughs> we don't have to learn this at all. There was this... Uh, There was this study done, like, in the 50s. This study is bananas, okay? This study is crazy. Maybe when you're in high school psychology, you saw this. It's called Solomon Asch's Conformity Experiment. So crazy. I was watching, like, YouTube clips on this thing. It is, like, if you're looking for empirical evidence of fear of man, it's this thing, y'all. So this is what happens. Check this out. So Solomon Asch takes a bunch of test subjects, puts them in a room. Everybody else in the room is an actor, except the one person they're studying. And then they put this on the screen. They put this on the screen. Um, So they basically say, okay, um, here's the reference line on the far left. Tell us which line one, two, or three matches up with the line on the far left. And so they have all the actors say, one, 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 right? They make it easy for it, it's like a layup. It's like a slow-handed underhand pitch. It's right here, It's it's easy to see that it's number one right? And they have all the actors say, one, 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 all the way down the line. They do that a couple times, and then they have all the actors say, oh, this one's two. Two two, two. two, 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 two." Then it gets to the test subject. 33% of the time, the person caves and just says, two, and caves. 33% of the time. 75% of the people caved at least once. And this is bananas because there's nothing on the line, it's a bunch of like random people in a room, and they're like people. People start to do this weird thing where they choose number two, and the person just decides it's not worth it. I'm going with number two. Like most of the people did that at least once. And think, think about like this is the, when there's nothing on the line. Think about when your actual opinions of people that you actually know are on the line. When your when your job is on the line. When your when your boss is talking to you. When your coworkers are talking to you. Like when so, even if you have ten dollars on the line, like it's way more than this. And most of the people cave. Most of the people cave. You know what's hilarious is when they would have, um, sometimes they would have the person at the end. They wouldn't have to say it out loud. they just have them write it down. When they would let them write it down, the 36% cave rate drops to 5%. Because they're not tripping about what people think about them. They can just write down. Now these guys are morons. It's a one. <laughs> You're like, I to write it down. Nobody cares. If they had one person, if they had one actor come out and say, like all the actors say, oh, no, it's two, 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 two. And then they had one person say, no, I think it's one. It drops down to 6%. All they needed was one buddy. If they got one buddy that could say, no, it's one, then it drops way down. It just shows you. They interviewed one guy afterwards. They're like, hey, why did you, why did you say it was two if you knew that it was one? He's like, I knew that they were wrong, but why should I stir the pot? That was literally the comment. This is so crazy. It's literally empirical evidence for fear of man. And, you know, here's the thing about this is we know that this is, like, we feel convicted about it. We know this is wrong. We want to be able to, in situations, be able to stand up for something, right? There's a lot of us, like, even, if, even people coming out of that experiment, they're probably like, well, I wish I could have said one, but, you know, who cares? Maybe they... They make justifications and all that. But a lot of us think about the circumstances like in life, like some of those symptoms that we found. But a lot of us want the security, the self-security, to be able to be like, no, like stop saying that about that person. <laughs> or maybe you got to say something to your boss. Maybe your boss needs to hear something from you, and you got the confidence to say what they need to hear. A humble, like, you know, way of deference, but you're willing to say it. And you, like we know that that's a virtue. Even If you're not a Christian, if you're, if you're exploring Christianity, you probably look at this as a virtue to not be under the domineering influence of a fear of man as it relates to people's approval. It's, it's an obviously like a trait that we'd all want to be able to have control under in situations, right? In situations that might cost us socially. Um, we all feel that, and so we have, kind of have to ask the question, what's the solution to fear of man? Like, what do we do about it? What's the solution to fear of man? Because we experience this a lot throughout the week. Friends, family, Random people that we don't even know, like in a study where you just came for no reason. Like, we experience this a lot. <clears throat> and so David, in Psalm 27, what he says is going to speak to this issue in our hearts. What he says is going to speak to this issue in our hearts. So let's read it. It's uh, Psalm 27. I'm going to be doing it in the CSB. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord, and it is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeing him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God, of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see God's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. This is Psalm 27. So here's the context of the psalm. This is a psalm of David. And kind of like in some of the other psalms that we've gone through that David has done, we see that he's being attacked. He's, under, he's being oppressed by his enemies. And it, there's like a lot on the line. Like he's talking about life and death. Like these people are coming to devour his flesh. Maybe they were cannibals. Like who knows? They weren't cannibals. Okay, But like there's a lot on the line. And, you know, this we can see when we're talking about fear of man, we can see this lies under that other category of fear of man. Um, actual oppression, attack, physical risk and harm. But what he says actually applies to all the categories, including the one that we experience most often, the people's approval, that fear of acceptance. What he says applies most um, to us, what we experience most often. And you know what's funny about this is the first thing that we see is that he actually doesn't have fear. The first thing that we see is David's not scared. Look at what it says. My heart will not be afraid. This is in the first handful of verses. I will still be confident. David is not scared. Look, David's an honest guy. The Bible has like tons of narrative about David. We know everything about this guy. We have his Facebook since he was like in high school. You can just scroll through David's life and see every stupid thing he's ever done. We, just last week, we saw in Psalm 51, David confessing the worst sin he's ever committed. Okay? He's an honest guy. So, when, he's not, when we see that he doesn't have fear, we can probably trust it. We can probably trust him. So, this first question. Why doesn't David fear man? It's that way right away in this psalm. Why doesn't David fear man? Well, here's the first thing that we see in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? So, di- The Lord is David's salvation. The Lord is David's stronghold. But you know what's interesting about the fear of man? is the fear of man puts salvation, puts stronghold in man, as opposed to in God, like what David is experiencing here. It's literally in man. And look, we we get addicted to man's approval. It's like a shot of value. When people give us praise, even if we don't deserve the praise, like we're happy to receive it, you know what I'm saying? Or... When we do deserve the praise and it doesn't come, it hurts. We're addicted to the, the, the praise and opinions of man, the power of man. We're addicted to it. And for man fears, salvation comes through acceptance. Like if, we, if people will just think well of us, then it'll be okay. If this relationship just wasn't in shambles, if this relationship is fine, they just think well of me, they don't know the whole story, but that's okay. I just need them to think well of me. We, that's like a shot of value in our arm. It's like an injection of worth. And we love it. We love it. But David is sourcing this in the Lord, not in man. We see this, we see this right away. And you know, you know what else I think, too? I think that one of the reasons that we like this, that we like the approval and, and praise that comes from man, I think one of the reasons that we like this is because if we put that, like David, if we put that in God, God, you're our salvation, God, you're, you're our stronghold, a lot of times we're worried about how God's going to, what God's going to let happen. Like if we take a risk and like risk our, 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 our social standing or whatever, we're worried that God's just going to let that go bad. <laughs> we're worried that if we step out and like stop maybe a gospel conversation or something and the people are kind of like, and look at us weird. That that's just going to keep happening. If we take a risk of faith for God and like maybe we lose our job, we just lose our job. We're worried that God's not going to do what we want him to do. That's a risk that we take when we put our, when we make God our salvation, when we make God our stronghold instead of man. This is one of the things, I think, that holds us back. We're worried about how God's going to act. We're worried he's going to act like it the way we don't want him to act. He might allow that critical uh, feedback. He might allow those negative opinions. And, you know, like, this is a real expectation that we should have because if you look at the New Testament, all 12 apostles died for Jesus. All 12 of them had people that hated them because they loved Jesus and would not cave to that fear of man. And they all died for it. There's precedence for this, for us to fear this and worry about what God is going to allow There's precedence for us to fear that. So, where do you see this in your life? Where do you see just an overbearing concern for people's opinions? Maybe it's that conversation at work that you're not having, even for somebody that works for you, that you're leading, that you're worried about giving feedback. Every week, think about the rhythms of your life. Every week, where are you really concerned about what people are going to think? We just overcome with the worry of potential embarrassment? Because we experience this a lot. The empirical evidence shows us that we experience this a lot. So we need to ask, the psalmist is begging us to ask ourselves, where do we not feel the confidence that David has? Where are we not putting, making God our salvation, our, our stronghold like David is? Where is the fear of man ruling us? Where is it ruling us? Why doesn't David fear man? Because his stronghold salvation is in the Lord. Not sure how he gets there, but it is. Here's the second one. He has confidence in God. Look at what it says here. Though a war breaks out against me, still I will be confident. Verse 3. Look at verse 5. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. David is confident in God. He's confident that God's going to act. He's confident that, uh, that God's going to act, and he's confident in whatever God allows. That's one of the, the crazy parts about this. He's confident in what God is going to allow us because, you know, what we, f- we fear what we think has power over us. That's what we fear, the thing that we think can overcome us. And for David, he thinks that's God. He's got an army mobilizing against him. David's lost wars, guys. The first, like, seven years before David, God said, David, you're going to be king. For seven years, he was like on the run, and Saul, the, the king at the time, was trying to murder him. Like He knows what it's like to get your butt kicked, okay? and still, he's confident in God. Still, he's confident in God, and again, we fear what we think has power over us, and David doesn't think his enemies have power over him. He knows that they have power, but not the highest power. So for us, a confidence in the situations that we face more often is a confidence to not go along with what people are doing that you know you probably shouldn't be doing. It's a confidence, like Solomon Asher's experiment, to not cave. Look, I'm not saying don't worry about people's opinions. Of course we should care about people's opinions of us. Okay? If you don't care, you're, like a, you're a psychopath, okay? You should care, but it shouldn't be on the throne. It shouldn't be on the throne. Um, you know, I was uh, I was thinking about like an illustration for this, where the confidence in God, and I was like looking through Netflix, looking through books I read, and looking through listening to songs and stuff. But I decided that like the best example of this um, comes from Daniel three in the Bible. Um, Daniel three is this narrative about these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're they're in exile. They're Jews in exile in Babylon. And serving a Babylonian king who is a narcissistic nightmare, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He's a total crazy person. And he sends out this decree, and he says, I'm building a gold idol. Everyone in the kingdom needs to bow down to it. And some Babylonians who know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't do it, bring that to the king. They say, hey, remember that decree you made? These three guys aren't bowing down. Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage. How dare anybody... Challenge him like that. Flies into a rage, brings the three of them before him. And he's questioning them. Did you do this? He's questioning them. And then this is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Even if he does not rescue us, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have confidence in who God is and whatever he allows. Confidence in whatever God allows when they submit to God in his way and worship him and him alone as opposed to the opinions and praise and power of man. Whatever, they have confidence in who God is and in what he allows. It's a beautiful story. This is the fear of, of God overcoming the fear of man. This is the fear of God being bigger than the fear of man. That is how we get deliverance from the fear of man. This is how we're able to stand. These guys' lives are on the line. And they're like, well, we love the Lord. We're not going to bow down to the idol. And God can save us. And maybe he does and maybe he won't. But either way, we're not bowing down. How do we get there? How do we get there so we can not only do this, but everything before that? The conversations, the comparison that we get caught up in as we compare ourselves to how other men and women are performing. How do we get there? In the Bible, the fear of God is a term the Bible uses a lot. The fear of God is like a, a reverence, an awe of God, the creator of the world. The all-powerful all-present, all-knowing, author of life. Fear of God is the reverence for him for who he is. That's what fear of God is. Um, and, you know, this story, Daniel 3, actually ends, God does rescue them. It's awesome. God, they get thrown into the furnace, and God just preserves them. And then Nebuchadnezzar bows down and worships the Lord because of their testimony. But we all know that mo- even through lots of times throughout the week, that's not necessarily going to happen. Sometimes God will do a mighty work in response to our faithfulness, but sometimes, just like with the Lord Jesus, we're going to suffer rejection. We're going to suffer humiliation and great loss. Sometimes, we're going to suffer that. Just ask again the apostles. So, how do we grow in fear of the Lord? How do we get there? How do we how can we get ourselves to a place where we're standing before perhaps the most powerful man in the world? And he's like, bow down or you're going to die. And we say, No. Because if we can do that, we can do a lot before that, which is what we face on a weekly basis. How do we grow in the fear of the Lord that David has, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to overcome the fear of man that we feel every week? How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? Here's the first one. Look at verse four. little thing I got. You remember verse five and verse three? David's confidence, verse three and verse five. He's confident in the Lord to act. In between verses three and five is a little thing I like to call verse four. <laughs> this is what it says. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Remember, David's like, this is the one thing I ask, God. One thing I ask. He says, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. He's asking God, only one thing. Let me be in your presence. Let me gaze on your beauty. God. And I love that this verse is in between his two verses about his confidence in God. Verse about confidence, verse about confidence. Right in between, he's gazing on the beauty of God. I think that's intentional. He's gazing on the beauty of God. And look, there's a lot of beautiful things about God. Nature that he created, material wonders, his power. But perhaps the most beautiful thing about God Is his grace. Probably the crown jewel of the beauty of the God of the Bible is God's grace. The grace made manifest in the Lord Jesus, who was the only sacrifice, the only blood worthy to make payment for us. And you know, if you grace is grace is basic like a, a common definition of grace is. Receiving what you don't deserve, like good things. Receiving good things that you don't deserve. The grace of God, even though we're sinners and rebelled against him, not only did he save us, but he blesses us with incredible things. This is the grace of God. And you know what's funny about grace is, if you look at grace and you ask, why? God, why did you have grace? Why did you send Jesus and give us that There's no answer. There's no logical answer to it. You're not going to find A plus B equals C behind grace. The only thing that's behind grace is because that's just who God is. That's his character. A character full of grace. That's it. That's the only explanation for why God did what he did. It wasn't because we deserved it. God knows it wasn't because we deserved it. And yet... He has grace. Why? That's just who he is. That's just the God that we serve. For David, for David, gazing on the beauty of God cultivates a fear of God. For us, even more so, as we gaze into the jewel of grace that is Jesus. Gazing in the beauty of God cultivates a fear of God which overcomes. The fear of man, which overcomes the fear of man. You know, one of the great places to gaze on the beauty of the God, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord Jesus, is in our Bibles, just like we saw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you are probably like, Adam, that's your answer for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Take it as a hint, okay? <laughs> yes. We can see the beauty of God in his word. We hear from God in his word. We find out the truth about God in his word and gaze upon his beauty as David does in his word. Here's the next thing. How do we grow in a fear of the Lord? Gazing on the beauty of God, here's the next thing that David shows us. It comes in verse 8. This is what he says. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. And I think the context here, what David is saying is, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to see you. I want to know you. But seeking his face has an interesting kind of biblical precedent. The idea of seeking the face of God shows up several times in the Bible. Most times what happens is somebody is in God's presence or somebody sees an angel of the Lord and they freak out because it's incredible, it's powerful, it's, I don't even know, I've never seen an angel of the Lord, but I might probably act the way that everyone in the Bible does, which is fall down on your face and not look at it, because you're afraid you're going to die. Okay, that's pretty much what happens every time in the Bible. Perhaps the zenith of this, perhaps the example of this that all the other examples flow from, that people in the Bible know about, and perhaps why they do it, is this scene from Exodus 33. Um, It's a scene from Exodus 33, and this is Moses talking to God. The people, the Israelites, they're being, they've just come out of Egypt, God's taken them out of Egypt, and God's given them law, and then they just melted down a bunch of gold into a gold calf and started worshiping it. Literally what Nebuchadnezzar does. God's people did this, and God is mad. And Moses is saying to God, he's begging him, he's like, God, don't, um, don't, let, don't leave us. If we go into the land that you've promised us, like, what's the point if you don't go with us? We won't Nothing will happen. Like, don't leave us. And then God says, okay, I won't leave you. And then kind of out of nowhere, Moses goes, let me see your glory. Just like, it seems like super random. He just goes, let me see your glory. And God goes, "Uh, I, I can let you see my back, but you can't look at my face because anyone who, any man that looks at my face dies. And then Moses says, just kidding, I don't want to see your glory. <laughs> I'm kidding, he didn't say that. Just kidding was not in the lexicon at that point. Okay, But Moses can't even look at God's face without dying. Here's what the second thing is. Awe of God. How do we grow in fear of the Lord? In awe. This is what David means when he says, let me seek your face. He's talking about growing in the awe of who the reality of all-powerful God whose face we can't even look at without dying. The author of life, the one who spoke the universe into existence. This is what David means. Even Nehemiah 14, as I was spending time just with God, just reading through the Bible this week, Nehemiah 4.14, he's a, he's a governor of Jerusalem and he's being attacked by his enemies. Used, he uses the same logic. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the great and awe-inspiring God. He uses the same logic that David uses cultivate your fear of God, because that reminds us the reality here. This this reminds us who's really in charge. God. You see, when you see how big and mighty God is, the fear of man takes the back seat to that. The fear of man pales in comparison to what God can do as opposed to what man can do. This is how we overcome our fear of man. You know what's interesting about this that Ed Welsh points out is that growing in the fear of God actually leads you away from self-esteem. Remember that 90s thing that we all got like jammed into our heads if you went to high school in the 90s and the early 1000s? Self-esteem, self-esteem. People are sad because they don't have self-esteem. What's funny about the fear of God is it literally leads you away from self-esteem. You're gazing on the beauty and omnipotence and glory and awe of the God of the universe. And as you're doing that, realizing the gap and realizing how mighty he is and how, what a tiny speck of a fleck of dust that we are, we start to feel smaller. And David and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nehemiah say, this is a solution to the fear of man, growing in a fear of God, which ironically, doesn't do anything for your self-esteem, but it grows your awe and beauty in God. And you know what's amazing about this is when we think about the Lord Jesus, this is why Jesus is so much more amazing because as we gaze on that gap, and realize in a deeper and more powerful way how far removed from the God of the universe we can't even look at him without dying as we begin to realize that. And then we see the Son of God who comes into the world, the jewel of grace that we didn't deserve. And we consider Jesus came after us just because. Because that's who he is. Not because... We earned it. Jesus becomes all the more amazing as we see the reality of this gap. It's all the more amazing that he rescued us. All the more amazing. Can you see the value that that gives you? doesn't do anything for your self-esteem. does a heck of a lot for your value. Can you see what that foundation of love does for you? The fact that the Lord Jesus came even though you didn't deserve that? Have you tasted and seen the beauty of the grace of the Lord Jesus? If you haven't, I invite you to come and talk to myself or a leader afterwards. Because this is how you overcome the fear of man. This is how you get that security that we see David has. The security that we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. That freedom from having to cave and be cowardly when we know it's going to cost us, the jewel of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen that? Have you seen the beauty of the Lord Jesus? Is he awesome to you? So how do we grow in a fear of the Lord? Gazing on the beauty of God and in the awe of God. This is what David does. This is what David shows us in Psalm 27. So the corollary... How does someone who fears the Lord act then? Like if we can grow in this and we're spending time in the word gazing on the beauty of God, how do we grow in that? How do we, God, how do we get there that David shows us, that that, that confidence? How do we get there? We see growing in awe and fear of God, but then how does someone who fears the Lord act? How does someone who fears the Lord act? This is what David shows us in verse 11. Because of my adversary, show me your way. And lead me on a level path. As the fear of the Lord snowballs in our hearts, his presence and majesty begin to go with us. We we think about him all day. As the reality of who God is begins to settle, we spend it, we have rhythms and disciplines of time spent with God and prayer and seeking his face in his word. He begins to be with us throughout the day. And we can act on his way. A level path is just another way of saying righteousness. It happens a lot in the Bible. We can begin to act according to God's path for us. This is how someone who fears the Lord acts according to God's path for him instead of capitulating to gossip, instead of capitulating in decisions because of how you're gonna come off as opposed to what's right. You act according to the way of the Lord that he has for you on a level path of righteousness that he has called you into. This is how someone who fears the Lord acts. We begin to consider in situations and conversations and opportunities, whatever, what does God want from me here? Because we fear him and we love him. You know, this is going to be, you're going to look strange, okay? Expect that there's gonna be awkward moments. Literally expect that. Because that, that's not the whole point, the whole point is for us to be in these situations and our fear of the Lord is sitting on the throne of our hearts. The majesty of God just washing over all that we are and then we say something when somebody's doing something or we don't go along with it and they raise their eyebrow and look, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed, you're supposed to be peculiar as people of God. You're supposed to be peculiar How does someone who fears the Lord act according to God's path for us? Here's the next one. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Here's the next one. How does somebody who fears the Lord act with courage? They act with courage because God goes with them, and they know that. In the deepest parts of their hearts, even though it may cost them, even though it may be painful, they know that their God is with them. And in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the furnace and said, but even if he does not rescue us, we will not worship your gods with courage. This is how somebody who fears the Lord acts. But look, God knows that this is hard. God knows that it's going to cost you sometimes. The Lord Jesus experienced that. He experienced perhaps the greatest cost. And even just from a man's experience, the utter rejection of everybody that he loves For our sake? That's what it cost him. And God knows that it's going to cost you. And he doesn't roll his eyes at that. He knows and cares. He knows and cares that it's going to cost you. So, you know, an easy way to begin to do this. If you've seen the movie Fight Club, um, there's a scene with Edward Norton. (laughs) Why are you guys weird that I'm quoting Fight Club? It's an awesome movie, come on. So is Gladiator, right? Um, in, In the movie Fight Club, Edward Norton's sitting on the plane, and then Brad Pitt shows up for the first time. And Edward Norton talks about this concept of single-serve friends, you know, like a bag of chips. You only eat it, and then it's done. You're on the plane, you hang out with this person, and then it's done, right? A great way to begin to step out in the fear of the Lord is with people like that. (laughs) Like, literally, Solomon Ash's experiment. Practice in those moments instead of caving, okay? Because it literally doesn't matter. Um, And so an easy way, like a training wheels for us, is to step out in faith and courage in the fear of the Lord and with those people. An even easier way, when you're in that situation, is to pray for them. When the Lord was speaking to me about this um, years ago, it, I, uh, it, I used to take a ton of, I've probably taken five, six, seven hundred Uber and Lyfts, tons of them. And I would always sit in the front and just chat the person up, just because it's way more fun than just sitting in the back being on my phone. And I would hear a lot of stories. Like, I'm not going to see this person ever again. And I would hear some of their stories and what's going on in their life. And honestly, several of those conversations ended in tears because the person was so just emotional with something that they were going through. And I felt the Lord urge me into pray for this person. I remember one time I was in front of a liquor store. This was like my first job out of college. I was in front of a liquor store and I was gonna go and do like a sales call on it. And this guy was outside asking for money and I was like, yeah, I'll buy something to eat. You down for that? And he's like, yeah, so we go in and buy something. And then I come out, and I, was, I hadn't even talked to this guy, but I was just like, okay, I need to step out in faith and obedience. This is an easy training wheels. I was like, hey, dude, you mind if I, because he seemed kind of sad. I was like, hey, you mind if I pray for you? And he was like, okay. By the way, every single time I've asked that, nobody's ever said no, just so you know. And I pray for the guy, and the guy just starts weeping. I have no idea to this day about what. Guy just starts weeping, never saw him again but pray for him, ask for the Lord's peace and presence to comfort him. This is an easy way for us to begin to step out in fear of God, to pray for those people who maybe we won't see again, that God wants to use us to bless and to care for. It's a great way to begin. And then as the fear of the Lord snowballs in our hearts, we can do that with people that we care about. We can do that with the people in our lives. And amazing things happen, by the way. Amazing things happen. In conclusion, in conclusion, what is the solution to, the, to our fear of man? Remember, David isn't fearful. We see that. And it's, we see that it. it's because he's been gazing on the beauty of God, growing in the awe of God. So the fear of God rises up in his heart and he can step out in faith and courage because the fear of God has overcome the fear of man. When we take communion, we remember the Lord Jesus and the jewel of grace that he is, the ultimate beauty of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus. We remember that he went to the cross and that it was costly for him. It was costly for him to obey his father and do what he wanted to do. When we take communion, we remember that. Pray with me. God, God, it is hard for us not to capitulate in times where it's going to cost what people think of us. God, you know this. I thank you that your grace covers that. God, I thank you that you still love us. We see that gap, Lord about how awesome and mighty you are, how powerful you are. God, help us to trust you with whatever you may bring. When we obey you, when we step out in faith and courage, God, when we allow the fear of you to overcome our fear of man and their opinions and their approvals, God, help us. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.